Welcome to another edition of Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon Marsh, your host. And joining me today by phone is Ms. Beatriz Soto, who is the director of the Defiende Nuestra Tierra program at Wilderness Workshop. Uh, she is also very much involved in uh, community organizing throughout the Roaring Fork and Colorado River Valleys. Welcome, Beatriz. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to be talking to you again. Today we're going to talk about environmental justice and also about uh, two bills that are uh, making their ways through the uh, State House, Senate Bill 200 and HB 1266. I think I have those numbers right. But first of all, Beatrice, let's back up a little bit. Can you define environmental justice? Yes. So just like many of the other justices that we um, usually tend to talk about, environmental justice is more focused on how certain communities um, receive the brunt of pollution or cumulative effects of bad air quality, bad water quality, um, the lack of access to nature, and they don't have political power um, to change the circumstances um, to have a healthy environment. So that's really where um, a lot of these health effects overlap or are connected to the environment around certain communities. And that's where it's necessary to elevate the voices and the power of these communities so they can fight for a clean environment, a clean and healthy environment. Well, you know, today is Earth Day. Earth Day is not just about protecting the Earth. I mean, it, that's big. That's the point. But at the same time, um, environmental justice is intertwined with conservation and protecting landscapes and protecting animals. Your thoughts? So, you know, when we, we talk about conservation and we talk about protecting biodiversity on our planet, we also have to make sure we're talking about protecting the people. Um, and all of it has to balance out and have the same level of importance. So if we have healthy communities and we don't have sacrifice zones in certain indigenous areas with certain communities of color, um, that's another critical part of the climate solution. It's a critical part of the conservation movement and the environmental movement as well. And historically, you know, these, these have been siloed. And when we talk about biodiversity and conservation, we're not necessarily talking about communities and people. So what we're really looking to achieve is make sure that while we are addressing um, biodiversity and ecosystems and climate change, we're also addressing environmental justice and we're addressing the needs of communities. Can you describe what you mean by a sacrifice zone? So it's by design that we know that there are certain areas in our state, in our country, in the world that tend to receive more pollution from plastic, from air quality, from water quality. And again, these communities tend to be the communities that have less economic means, less political power, access to language, access to resources. They don't necessarily fit within the dominant culture. And these communities tend to be sacrificed, their health, 
their well-being. And before you know it, a landfill is next to the community, as well as a highway, poor air quality, extraction. Um, you don't tend to see this in more affluent and communities that have more power. So they end up being sacrificed for the well-being of, you know, our society, and that's how it's perceived. Um, but they end up having to carry the brunt of, you know, all these health factors and environmental issues. Well, it reminds me, uh, many years ago in the 80s, I worked for Greenpeace, and um, I spent about four years working with them, and I worked all over the country. And I remember some of the the actions and some of the work that we did uh, in California, uh, in East L.A., uh, in the Latino neighborhoods. We were fighting a, a toxic waste incinerator, in North Florida, uh, we were fighting another incinerator, and it was going to be uh, in a very, very low-income black neighborhood. And then also uh, Native American people have to deal with things like um, nuclear testing out on western Shoshone land in Nevada years ago and, you know, Peabody Coal and the Navajo Nation. And I think about... Um, you know, the people living in Commerce City, just on the front range, uh, dealing with the Suncor pollution from that refinery. How does environmental injustice show up in the Roaring Fork and Colorado River Valleys? Just through the organizing that I've been doing over the past three years and talking to the community, we have come to realize that a lot of community members living in the rifle, silt, um, kind of apple tree area tend to drink water um, out of plastic bottles. This is because they do not trust the water in their tap system. Um, it comes out in a dark color. The taste is weird. And this has been reported to us on multiple occasions. And then if you think about Sometimes these communities are lower income and they're paying more for water and then they're buying it in a plastic container, a single-use plastic. It's just adding to the pollution and the plastic pollution and the fact that they don't have access to clean water. And I've even had reports of people saying um, that their, you know, their kids have rashes on their skin um, and they believe it's the water. But a lot of times these issues are really hard to connect. Um, and prove that it's actually there when you don't have the right testing and your, you know, your water supply continues to say, no, this isn't an issue. So that's an issue that's been elevated and brought to my attention. Another one, too, is the wildfires that we've been having in our area. That's a climate issue. And the emergency response services sometimes aren't prepared to engage with the Latino community, and there ends up being the sense of insecurity and of chaos. Um, the air quality is really bad. All the memos come out in one single language. So that's another environmental justice issue that we have been living in with the Lake Christine fire, with the um, Grizzly Creek fire, and that will only continue to increase as you know the climate and our weather gets warmer. Uh, another issue that I talk a lot about with our community as well is really trying to identify why people need to migrate and relocate and why and where people are coming from and what are the underlying factors of a lot of the migration we've seen in our area. A lot of the community members that I work with, that I organize with, 
they share their stories of being um, coming from places where it's small scale farming and ranching. And these are areas where there is less water, where drought has been extended for 10, 20 years. And the climate, climate change has influenced and has really started to create uh, the social changes that we know will happen with, with this phenomenon where people and communities start to see more poverty, um, the land is less fertile, there is less water, and that, you know, starts to cause people to either have to migrate or go into shady businesses to be able to provide for their families. And a lot of people have just opted to leave those areas and migrate. So that automatically makes them climate migrants. And that kind of ties absolutely to climate justice and environmental justice and the need of people having to relocate to new places. So that's another factor that it might not be happening here, but it's contributing to the fact that people are moving to this area. So where are you seeing migrants coming from? There is a huge population from the northern part of Mexico, for example. That's where I'm from, and those are a lot of the people that are, you know, my close friends. And again, these are small rural areas where there's just there's no water, um, and they have to do with treaties with the United States. They have to do with the same issues we're dealing with here in Colorado, where, you know, communities are fighting for water so they can continue to have agriculture in their areas, but the water is owed to the cities. It's owed to where you see large parts of population. A lot of the water in Mexico is owed to the United States through um, treaties that were done in the late 1800s. So all of these are phenomenons that affect small communities, rural communities in Mexico, and people end up having to migrate. Also, a lot of the stories that we hear in the news about migrants being on the border, and you start, they start talking to these people, these are small farmers that are one crop away from poverty. And if rain patterns are changing, people end up being in dire um, circumstances in their lives where they're forced to migrate. Um, there's also started to be um, a larger population of people from the Caribbean. Um, years ago, when I was in high school, I don't remember interacting with a lot of people from Puerto Rico, and now I'm starting to see this migration of people from Puerto Rico that they can come to the United States. A lot of them would have preferred to stay on their island, but because of the circumstances that Puerto Rico is going through because of climate change, it's forcing people to move from their homeland into new areas. So the population from people from Puerto Rico is also starting to increase in the Rhine Fork Valley. Wow. And then it's like, you know, it's like cascading dominoes uh, because uh, it overlaps with economic, social, and racial justice, and also um, no matter where somebody moves, whether it's into the United States, whether it's um, into uh, South American countries from Central America or from Africa to Europe um, and Asia to Europe or the United States, um, it adds a burden um, to other countries just because they're more people 
and there are more people in a certain area that's not used to having more people. So there's um, there's an increase in water use. There's an increase in the need for housing. So it just shifts everything around. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think um, one of that when we talk about climate change, I don't think, you know, the only concern is um, a warming climate. It's biodiversity. It's what are the social, economic, political impacts of climate change. And we know that one of those is environmental justice. One of those is mass migration. I was actually just hearing um, President Biden today has his huge um, climate summit, and he right. um, there's a lot of world leaders. And Mexico was presenting, and they're proposing an investment in South America for more fruit trees, for more reforestation as a solution for migration. So they're tying already climate solutions to migration solutions and how we need to invest in these areas to avoid mass migration versus having inhumane treatment to humans and the communities and the people. The solution is lifting people, elevating, investing in those communities, and that is part of the climate solution. So I was very pleased to hear that. Yes, it makes a lot more sense than... um stockpiling people at the border, which is essentially what we're doing in the United States and having to deal with that and not looking at other solutions that, as you say, can lift everybody. And um, that's fascinating that, you know, Biden and Mexico and all of these other leaders are um, really starting to take a look at that of investing in other countries and uh, the places that are being hardest hit by climate change. Yes. So by, you know, conserving biodiversity, by protecting land, by tackling climate change, by bringing in communities and uplifting them and tackling environmental justice all at the same time, we end up coming up with a holistic solution versus just a Band-Aid to one problem, creating another problem. Exactly. I want to remind listeners that this is Valley Voices. It's Earth Day, and I'm speaking with Beatriz Soto, who is the director of the Defiende Nuestra Tierra program with Wilderness Workshop, and we're talking about environmental justice and climate change. Something that's really showing up here in the Roaring Fork Valley. You know, I want to shift a little bit into these two bills uh, that uh, are coming through the state house. These seem to be unprecedented. Could you talk about Senate Bill 200 and HB 1266? So SB 200 is a bill introduced at the state house um, by Senator Faith Winter and Representative Dominic Jackson. It has already passed the Natural Resources and Environmental Committee. This bill is intended to reduce greenhouse gases and increase environmental justice. So again, it's bringing part of the climate solutions that our state, some of those goals, and making sure environmental justice is a key component to those environmental um, and climate goals. So environmental justice is actually included in the text of the bill. Yes. So it creates an environmental justice ombudsman person. (laughs) I always have a hard time (laughs) saying that word. 
Um, so there's an actual position to make sure um, that the environmental justice goals are being met. And there is also an environmental justice advisory board that has power to enforce the work that the um, that is in the law around environmental justice and making sure that through all the processes of permitting around the AQCC, um, there's actually um, the engagement, authentic engagement with these communities that are disproportionately affected. That seems to me to be unprecedented. And I'm wondering who's going to be on those committees. I don't know. When I hear task force, when I hear a committee, my eyes start to glaze over, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, is this just going to be more studies and no action? So just kind of jumping back to HB 1266, which is the Environmental Justice for Disproportionately Impacted um, Community, also introduced by Senator Faith Winter and Representative Dominic Jackson at the House level, um, also calls for a task force. So they both, one asked for a, uh, an environmental justice advisory committee and the other one for an environmental justice action task force. So the intent is you will have community members, you will have um, members from the Democratic caucus and from the Republican caucus. So it's an even playing field where different voices and stakeholders have a say and a voice at the table um, and are equally represented. So it's not only giving power to communities, but it's still bringing into the fold um, Democratic and Republican representatives at the state level to sit on these task force and to sit on these advisory boards. So it sounds like, Beatrice, it sounds like if these bills pass, then right away, the indigenous people and people of color have an opportunity to be in on the ground floor talking about, you know, whatever project is going on or uh, being a part of the conversations about maybe water in our state or uh, deforestation, what have you. Exactly. Um, these are intended specifically for the um, Air Quality Control Commission, but I can definitely see that um, laws like this will start to affect every single agency in our state, from CDOT um, to um, oil and gas um, regulating commissions. I know they have some environmental justice language um, coming through the pipelines for for their regulatory process as well. So I can see um, environmental justice start to bake into all our climate goals, to all of these agencies that have traditionally not engaged with these communities. Um, and a huge part is making sure that they're engaging in different languages, that the community has an opportunity to participate, and um, these agencies have to meet communities where they are. For example, if you have a community that is working from 7 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday through Friday, it's going to you know, start to be a requirement that part of the hearings maybe happen on a Sunday, right? And it happens closer to the communities. So, again, breaking down some of those barriers that traditionally have not allowed community members to participate. On a scale from zero to ten, zero being not at all, ten being the most enthusiastic one could possibly be, 
Um, how enthusiastic do you think the uh, communities of color in this area, in the Colorado River Valley and the Roaring Fork Valley, um, are in terms of actually participating in hearings and meetings and that sort of thing? I would probably say it's somewhere in the middle, maybe at a five, <laughs> um, because historically we've never participated in such type of right. processes. So there definitely has to be an education component. There has to be a power building, a sense of belonging that we, you know, we belong in these places as well. It also has to come from organizations such as, you know, Wilderness Workshop and Defiende Nuestra Tierra to bring the community up to speed as much as we can and meet people where they are and make sure that they feel like they have a voice in these places because these are issues that our community does care about. I, again, I've spoken to community members in the Parachute, Battlement Mesa area, and they've expressed to me how concerned they are about the oil and gas extraction in their right. communities, how close it is to their homes. There is that concern. There, the values of conservation are huge in our community. It's just a matter that we don't feel comfortable participating in these processes, or we don't even know they exist. So there's the education component, and I think once the community is really educated and there's a door and you can come with the language of your heart and speak in Spanish and you can come and express your concerns and we start to create those spaces for those people to participate, we will start to see that increase in participation and that passion show in these places as well. And it sounds like uh, the community as a whole doesn't have much of a choice. You know, I mean, we have to do this. That's what it sounds like to me. It's um, way past time to have bills like this coming through the state house. Nonetheless, they are coming through the state house now. And um, because of climate change, climate migration, I think that we don't really have a choice. We have to do this if we're going to work together and um, reduce climate change and uh, make life fair and equal for everybody. Exactly. It has to be a collaboration. It has to be a partnership. The solutions have to be co-designed by the people that are impacted. And it's not the end-all solution. There still has to be a lot of work, right? Because we understand that this is intersectional with economic justice, uh, racial and social justice that are built into our many institutions, right? This is just you know, part of the solution, but you know, it's, it's a good step forward. And I'm, I'm really excited to see our representatives really talking about this and caring about this. I've also started to see um, from the Latino caucus, um, some bills that are proposed around air quality and toxics and water quality. So there's, there's a lot going on at the state level too, that is really trying to address um, who is receiving more pollution, which communities are hurt the most, and making sure that these communities are not overseen and they are a part of the solution for climate. These communities become a part of the solution for tackling um, pollution and air quality. Because let's be honest, these communities are the ones that know what it feels like to have cancer and asthma exactly. due to bad air quality. Those are the people that should be driving the solutions. Um, and a lot of times, the people that are crafting the laws, they don't, they're not even aware that the, there's communities that are suffering to this level and decisions are made without these communities present. 
So again, it's, it's, it's part of the solution. We're slowly getting there. There's still a lot of work to do, but at least, you know, I'm confident we're heading in the right direction. Well, Beatrice Soto, director of the Defiende Nuestra Tierra program at uh, Wilderness Workshop. Thanks very much for your work, and thank you very much for joining Valley Voices today. Thank you, and I hope everybody has a wonderful Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Thank you very much. Gracias. Thanks for listening to Valley Voices. Stay tuned for Pulse of the Planet and NPR's All Things Considered. I'm Amy Haddon-Marsh.